At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Greg Brinkley is America's number one coach for Black government professionals. In his combined 27-year career with the state of California and the Social Security Administration, he has led, consulted, or been a significant contributor to countless successful teams. He is a two-time recipient of the SSA Regional Commissioner's Team Award, as well as the prestigious SSA Commissioner's Team Award. He's an entrepreneur and the founder of Greg Brinkley Enterprises, providing coaching and leadership services for success-driven Black government executives, leaders, and employees. He is also a coach, motivational speaker, and leadership trainer certified by John C. Maxwell. He and his wife live in the Austin, Texas area, and Greg and I have been friends for more than 30 years. All right. I have the pleasure this week of having Greg Brinkley join me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Somebody I have known for literally decades. And I am so excited to learn so much more about you. It's amazing how you can know somebody for decades and then they write a book and you learn so much more about them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I, uh, it is truly a pleasure for it to have you here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Melissa. <laughs> I was looking forward to this, you know, like, like you said, we go back. So, you know, comfort zones are not supposed to exist, but I feel comfortable being able to talk with you and just get into even more of what we are about right now in terms of what we're doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, this is cool. So, well, coming from the Jolly, uh, Everybody always has a story. So I always like to start with you telling your story about how you got to where you are, because you have literally transformed your life in terms of, you know, working. And, you know, when people say and think about government workers, they typically don't look like you or they don't act like you. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you have kind of <laughs> transformed a lot of that. So tell us a little bit about Greg and how you got to where you are. All right. I'll start with just my career. I, I started back in 1993. I was at the California Department of Social Services. It's referred to this as the Disability Determination Service. We handle federal disability claims. So I came in as a permanent intermittent, which means that I was not allowed to work 40 hours a week. I could not be full-time. I had to work 39 hours or less. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, so I was literally getting my foot in the door. I took the test as an office assistant and got on with the DDS in Oakland. And I got in working in the mailroom. And as I like to tell people, I was in the mailroom not handling the mail. Okay. The fact that done. But yes, <laughs> I was in I was in the mailroom. I was not on the machines. I was not on, on the sorter or or the machine that that seals. No, I wasn't in, in, on any of that. I was opening pouches of incoming cases, and when the cases were done, I would. And this is before computers were in place in in the state departments. Uh, I would take the astrophysical cases, put them in mail pouches, and and run them up to uh, the, st- the stock room. So I was literally Chris Rock in Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> I had the cart going up the aisles, <laughs> delivering. <laughs> delivering <laughs> so I was able to cross train while I was in the mail room and cross train doing intake closure, actually inputting cases and closing them out in the system. I went from there to becoming a support staff person where I was actually working with certain analysts uh, doing their clerical duties. And I took the test. And during this time, I was in, I got back into college and I was at Cal State Hayward because that's what the school is called, Cal State Hayward. I don't care what anybody, <laughs> else, anybody says. Note uh, to and, everyone, it's now called Cal State East Bay. Don't listen to <laughs> <laughs> So, So I got back in to the PACE program, which was a program for people who were working in, in the in the mornings and then went to school at night. So I was doing that for about three years. Finally got my degree, a bachelor's in human development. And I used that to parlay into becoming a disability evaluation analyst. So I was an analyst and did that for approximately four years. And then I went to work in Silicon Valley. I left and worked with a company called Edify, Edify Corporation. I was doing tech support for them. But the grind of the commute and early hours and traffic just got to me. And I ended up coming back to the state, to my old job. But I was able to progress to the senior level of disability analyst. And I did that until 2006. And then I transitioned over to the Cooperative Disability Investigations Unit. And this unit was a multi-agency office that focused on disability fraud. So I was on another side of the cases where I'm we're actually involved in looking at people who were applying for disability, but for some reason they were involved or suspected suspected of committing fraud and similar fault. So I did that for four years. Then I got over to the federal DDS, which was a federal component. 
So I was working in Richmond, California, and I started on the ground. So I was at the, at, under the total pole at the DDS in, in Oakland, went to CDI, then I was under the total pole again at the federal unit, but worked my way up, became a mentor, became a team leader, became a senior team leader. And this was a quasi-supervisory role. So, and then in 2014, they established what's called the Fraud Prevention Unit. There are only three in the nation. So this, my branch chief selected the unit that I was in, my supervisor and myself to be the people to head up the Fraud Prevention Unit. So I was a team leader and we worked on a lot of class action suits and a lot of data mining and data crunching and looking at cases with the pie tooth comb that were more global in scope in terms of the number of cases or type of criteria that met the level right. or the threshold of looking at whether it was actually fraud or not. So that's about all I can say because I'm still sworn to see. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Working on the risk side. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> From there, I did that until 2018. And my family and I decided that it was time to relocate. So we relocated to Austin, Texas, and I, trans- I transferred over. It was a hardship transfer to the Austin Social Security office. I took a drop-in grade and a drop-in pay to make, make the transition. In that office, I was, for the first year, not even performing the duties of my job. I was doing most, mostly a lot of data entry and filing paper cases and taking Social Security applications, people were applying for social security cards and and it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it would be. Right. Because it kept pushing back the training. So I finally got into training in it and I was pretty much me and my part my coworker and I were basically lab rats with a lot of other people around the country because they were unfolding a new training system. So we got out of the training and we just felt that we were not in a position, but they said, hey, you're gonna work these cases. Wow. So I did that for three months and then COVID hit. Oh. So now everybody everybody's teleworking. Right. And I didn't have the level of support that I needed. During this time, I was already training to uh, become a coach. Mm-hmm. So I joined the John Maxwell team back in 2019. And I'm still with them and going through training. And that's how I met up with my mentor, Christian Simpson, who is, I don't think there's anybody who can touch him. As far as coaching, he, he lives and breathes this. It got to a point in the office where it was just an untenable situation. Teleworking, getting frustrated because I didn't have the support. My, my mentor at the job, you know, she was tied up herself. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't really anybody's fault. It was just the government. The perfect storm. In it's my the opinion. government. No. <laughs> and it's the government. Right. <laughs> it got to a point where my wife and I were like, you know, this is not going to cut it. And she supported me in branching out and and uh, making this, the transition into entrepreneurial work. So I left on July 4th. It was Independence Day. My last day of work was the 4th of July. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You were you were thinking ahead with that one for sure. And now, yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. you have authored a book called Uncivilized. I saw it on your Facebook page and I was like, I have to order it. And it's really an interesting book to me because you focus a lot on 
you know, how government workers behave. And you talk about what to do to help them. But you talk a lot about government workers who, in some cases, I know people think may be uncivilized in their interactions with them. But you go through a lot of kind of different profiles of workers, which, you know, coming from the corporate sector, both private and now public, having worked at Visa, I found a lot of the profiles, you know, very similar to what I see in the office. You know, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say it's specific to government, but certainly what you've seen, I could relate to on my side. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you talk about kind of the scatterist, the reality show wannabe, you know, all of these different (laughs) things. And, you know, you look at it and it's like, you know, that's true. People are kind of, they, they can be put into a little bit of a box, but in some cases we put ourselves in the box, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's, I, I want to make sure that I conveyed in the book that I was not immune to that either. I, I was the person who slept at the job, you know, you know, I can remember when I, well, I was in training as a disability analyst and I was, I was sleeping during training sessions. And I remember distinctly my branch chief called me in. I say the, the training coordinator called me in. My case adjudication bureau chief called me in and she was really cool about it. She was like, Hey, Greg, are you okay? Cause you know, I, you know, she was really cool about it, but everybody else was like, you know, you better get your act together and so on. So the branch chief called me in and I never forget. She said, and I quote, sleeping on a job is a fireable offense. I just looked at her. I said, really? Then half the staff should be fired. <laughs> oh, no. That's in my mind. I, I didn't say that, but, but I, I, there are people putting pallets under their desks, sleeping and taking naps. And, but yet. You're calling <laughs> me out. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but, but I, but I also know that now I think I point, point this out in the book that management tend to have long memories. When you are seen or perceived a certain way, that tends to stay with you. As a matter of fact, when I left to go to Silicon Valley to work there, one of my coworkers told me, you know, the branch training coordinator said that, you know, there are some people who left and you know, it was, it was good because they weren't really good analysts anyway. I was like, oh, really? So when I came back. <laughs> <laughs> you had a point to prove. <laughs> yeah. Remember me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, but, but it just brings out the idea that we, we, all, first, first, we all have not been stellar right. employees. At some point in time, we've all have dropped the ball. But the point about the book is understanding that there are people who are in this cycle of thinking that keeps them there. They don't, they don't ever make the shift. They don't, they're not self-aware enough to say, hey, I'm, not, I'm shooting myself in the foot with my career. I need to get my act together. I need to do something different. I need to surround myself with, with different people. Some don't make that shift. And that's when we see a lot of these, these uh, personality profiles really become ingrained. And from the outside looking in, it just seems as though there's no help for these people when in fact there is help. Yeah. 
Well, and you talk about, and I love some of the names. I mean, the sit and spin arsonist. I'm like, oh my God, that is too hilarious. But I think one of the things you talk about in there is, you know, who I associate with. A lot of people think it won't affect their career, who they're associated with. And you're talking a lot about, you know, whether we see ourselves in some of these profiles, you know, along the way. But to some degree, I don't know that you always know who you're associating yourself with, which kind of ends up becoming the political nightmare of, oh, well, you're aligned with Greg, so we're not going to promote you or do this or that. Right. And, and you actually had the opportunity to create training and, you know, kind of be the, that bar of excellence in a lot of ways when clearly you're saying, you had to overcome some things within your own mindset in order to transition. So, I mean, how do you think people do that? I know I said a lot in all that with, uh, <laughs> with the, with, you know, other you. people, you know, kind of affecting your career and then the mindset that you have to have. How did you make that adjustment? Well, I think it comes from a core that we maintain. A lot of people get away from their core and they, they lose their weight in getting back to that. Because I would venture to say that most people come in, I think I've mentioned this in the book, most people come into government with great intentions. They want to establish themselves, want to promote, they want to get, you know, the benefits that come with government work and they want to have some significance. So there's, there's not too many people that come in just rolling in with some stank attitudes, you know, they, they actually come in with the best of intentions. It's just that some, sometimes government work has a way of making you forget where you came from. Well, and yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was going to say, so in, in knowing that there's, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming representation is an issue in the government. I know you specifically talk about blacks in government. Mm. I mean, what is that, you know, as you talk about your own transition, eyes are on you as you're making that transition. Yeah. Yeah. That's another layer. That's, that's, I think that is, is so important for African Americans to realize that they don't have to sacrifice their blackness. It's important. You have to be authentic and for me, I needed to come to the realization that I, I am who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know what skills I have. I know the skill set that I, I had developed. And it was showing itself in different spurs. I didn't come into, gov into government having all of this. I had a pretty good base, but I started to build on that. And I also had to be aware of my blind spots and know exactly what it is that I needed to fix or what I, what I needed to adjust so I could be put in the best position. I know for me and for, for us being in the kingdom of God, it's important to recognize that there is someone in some ways protecting you from, in some cases, yourself, that you're not shooting yourself in the foot or doing more damage to yourself. There are people that are, that are being positioned to actually be for you and they say things or they do things or they look out for you in certain ways and and that's what I was able to do I had a couple of great supervisors at the DDS 
I had one great one at the federal government. I had a, a excellent one at CDI. I had people who were in my corner who saw the diamond in the rough and who positioned me to excel, to, to trust my judgment, to utilize my talents and gifts. And they, and they respected me as an individual. They actually, they actually didn't look at me as just any old person. They, along with other people, they actually had a level of respect for the people that they were responsible for leading. So I, I was blessed to have people who were really able to say, Hey, I know what you bring to the table. If, if there's an opportunity for us to work together, I want to work with you. And that helped me understand what I needed to break away from. So I wasn't locked into a mindset of feeling entitled. And I also didn't get into the mindset of dwelling in feeling marginalized or undervalued because I'm a black man in a largely dominant white and female environment. As far as the branches that, branches that I involved, was what I was involved in. So I think it's it was important for me to appreciate who I was, what I brought to the table, use the, use the help that was given to me, and then decide that I wanted to branch out into a newer version of myself, despite what others, including some black folk, wanted to to see from me. Because they wanted to keep me down or they wanted to just try to throw me in the bus. You know, I can go down the road and give you examples of that. Yeah. But but there had to be some value, but it comes from a core right. of values that I knew that I had and I had to build on that along the way. Well, and I love the fact that so so turning the tables now when because you said a whole lot in that sense when you talked about your own supervisors, supervisors and the leadership that they showed in, first of all, even acknowledging you. But second of all, in creating those opportunities. And I think, you know, there are so many challenges with people that are, whether they sit in the C-suite or whether they're in the government, they don't do that. You know, their leadership is, I'm in this position, so you will do what I say or, you know, whatever. But it's, it, it doesn't showcase leadership. And I think, you know, sometimes we're always looking for advocates or sponsorship, which, you know, you hope you get. But it's so refreshing to hear that the leadership qualities for your particular situation had such a significant impact on you and your career. Yeah. But that's not to say that they were all like (laughs) (laughs) I had some that were really trying to find ways to show favoritism, some that were really more manipulative or they, they just did not have a high perception of the people that they worked around and it showed in how they carried themselves. Some are very dogmatic. Some are very uh, combative and arrogant. I mean, I had, I had quite a few. So the ones that I mentioned, they were really the exceptions. <laughs> yeah. And and by and large, you see this being replicated when you see things like leadership development programs and the same people are the mentors. <laughs> right. 
and then and they're you're passing down this mentality to the people who are new coming in and it ends up becoming this this uh culture toxic of, toxic culture yeah, yeah. culture of toxicity yeah yeah, yeah. so it's, it's it's important for us to be you know as far as government work it's important to be mindful of how toxicity really becomes dominant influence and it's hard to navigate that if you are not aware of your own self-worth and and potential for influence Ooh, say that aware of your own self-worth and potential for influence i love that yeah let's pause for a moment we'll be right back So when we start talking about, you know, because obviously there's when I think of this, there's all this pain. I particularly remember a, a manager I had that. I mean, I was broken. I mean, I lost all confidence in myself and my ability to do anything like I wasn't even sure that I even brought value. Mm. And thankfully, you know, the organization I was with, we reorganized all the time. So, so <laughs> luckily, you know, you ended up in a different situation if you waited long enough. But, you know, so there's, I mean, there tends to be a lot of pain associated, even mentally, with people trying to navigate their own careers through a lot of these potholes and a lot of these profiles that you go into. So are there things from a mindset perspective or... You know, do you want to talk a little bit about your, M, you know, the MPR that you identify in here? You know, are there things that, you know, because I think you talk a lot about person-centered values, yeah. which, you know, when you talk about you have to understand your core, yeah. I go back to those person-centered values as well. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of, how I mean, as a leader, as a CEO, as as I'm looking at the culture of my company, mm-hmm. what are you know what is the MPR that most po- problematic route, and how do I help people create those person centered values? They're gonna have to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> they do need to get the book, so <laughs> right, we're gonna do. publicize but, but, it. Uncivilized right. by Greg Brinkley. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I came up with that uh, NPR concept, uh, reflecting on my training as a coach and also looking back and reflecting on the types of things that I saw from my coworkers and leaders and executives. And there's a, there's just a common denominator behind it all, and it's, and it's ignorance. And that's not necessarily, you know, because we're all ignorant to some degree. That's, that's just the reality of life. We are all ignorant in some fashion or form. I think people don't want to admit that they're ignorant because ignorant because it's they look at it as a as a stigma or as a as a black mark. Not necessarily. Ignorance is just the idea of being consciously unaware. Right. And when you're, and when you're consciously unaware of something, you don't know any better. So that doesn't excuse it. It's just the fact that you don't know what you don't know. So. It's the pro- there's a process of learning that has to come into the picture to help the person understand. Okay, I don't, I, I did, I never knew how to ride a bike before I rode a bike, but I had to start riding in order to learn. Right. 
I didn't know what I didn't know. But then when I started writing it, then, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on things, but I don't have it all together. And it's, and it's a process. So with that, this idea of ignorance is important, especially when you talk about uh, person-centered values. Because it goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. If you don't know who you are at your core, then you're not going to be able to see yourself with a level of self-respect, with the level of self-leadership, with the level of compassion for yourself. You're not going to have those things in place. You're, you're really operating from a very unhealthy place because now ignorance is, 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 has become so prevalent. Right. And yet you still want to tell yourself, well, I know, I, I know, I know. Well, no, you don't know. Because if the results are the same, then that speaks to the mindset that is unhealthy, that's still in the ignorant place, that is still driven off of emotion and conditioning and, and so on. So, so there has to be that progression uh, from ignorance to awareness gradually. It's not going to happen overnight. It has to be a process, but there has to be that first step in saying, okay, I'm aware that I don't know everything. Yeah. I know that I have not been mindful of who I am at my core. I'm not fully aware at every, in every experience or situation I find myself in on a daily basis. I'm not always aware. That takes a lot of mindfulness and it also requires a lot of breaks. So you have a lot of different things here. Even from a leadership perspective, a leader who is not aware of his or her core will pass down toxicity without even being aware of it. Yes. And that's why the leader needs to have that awareness as well and say, okay, I know I'm in this position, but I don't want to be a figurehead. I don't want to be some uh, autocrat. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to, I want to be able to see my team or my staff, or my employees in a way where they can be able to express themselves in their work to the fullest. But that requires awareness on my part. The fish thinks from the head. So I need to you know, get myself cleaned up and then understand who I am at my core and then focus on and be clear about my values, what it, what it is that I value, what's important to me and how I present that in the workplace. Wow. You said a whole lot. The fish stinks from the head, though. That's that's an interesting one. I'm all, I have not heard that before, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll also add this that, and I got this from my trainer. If uh, there's a there's a couple, I mean, he just drops nuggets all the time. But one particular nugget said, "How you do one thing is how you do all things." Yes. And that sticks with me. I mean, even for me, even as I look at my environment and my role, okay. That is a result of how I do the little things. This one, and it shows up in every facet of my life. So when I start looking at this one thing in my life that I know that is not right or not as effective or not as efficient in this area, then I need to, to reel it back and then look at how am I, how am I, how I'm approaching this particular aspect of my life because it has a direct impact on other areas of my life. That's a great point. 
And I think it shows the growth, right? Because if you're able to see, I mean, it kind of gives you that hope that if I'm not doing something that I should be doing, first of all, you're finally self-aware. And, you know, you talked about self-compassion and some of the things, you know, that's like deep work on yourself. And I think a lot of times people don't, you know, there's, they tend to be focused on how do I lead the team or how do I do this for, for others or how other people are acting. But it's really deep work when you start talking about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those things, because it really does start with you and how you perceive and really value yourself. Yeah. Which, which is, I mean, it can be difficult, especially depending on, you know, kind of your season in life. I mean, you know, I found myself a widow at 49. It's like, what is happening? You know, my whole world shifted, but yeah. it was years. Now I've spent years really trying to focus on who I am because I was part of a couple before and now I'm not. <laughs> so. You know, it's like your your mindset does change in terms of who you are along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And even for me, transitioning to Austin, Texas, the past three and a half years are really what I call my evolution and revelation journey. I got that from James Austin, who we both know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and when he did the uh, eulogy for Brother Creighton. Okay, uh-huh. That was the title of his eulogy, The Evolution and Revolution of the Servant of God. And I was at, I was there, and 10 minutes in, I'm like, you know, I'm fighting back tears because that was my experience. I was put in my wilderness, and there are a lot of things about myself that I was not aware of, or I wasn't as aware as I thought I was. And it, it took a lot of work a lot of personal work, a lot of learning how to be mindful, a lot of learning how to forgive myself, to give myself grace, a lot of work in seeking amends for people, a lot of grief work because I lost almost 40 people in a two-year span in my life. Wow. 40. Wow. Different ages, different situations, different causes. There, there were, it was, it really was a wilderness wandering. And it, it just really points out the necessity of being able to work on you. Yes. And, and people, and people to a great extent never get to that point. There's a saying that goes, if you don't go within, you will go without. Mm. And I'm a living witness to that. Yeah. And I realize now that I needed to go within. And, and it's still a process. Still, I'm still working on myself. I'm not all the way there yet. And no one else is all the way there yet. It's, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. And it's the awareness of the journey that allows you to embrace transformation as good pain. Yes. Good pain. We need good pain. We, can't, we need good pain. Can't run from it. Yeah. You, you have to work through it. And that's where you find yourself, at least that I've, that's my revelation. Cause I think, you know, you find yourself in different circumstances and it's like, you wonder what, what am I here for? And, you know, 
But then you also realize life is so short. You know, you have to really focus on what you want to do and what impact you want to make in the world. Yeah. So it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, I love to see that you are, have completely shifted your life and are doing what you enjoy. Are there other things that you want to talk about? Because I want to make sure, how do people find the book Uncivilized by Greg Brinkley? It is on Amazon. So they can go to Amazon and get it. They can also go to uncivilizedbook.com and uh, get it directly from me. So those are the two ways to get the book. Okay. All right. Awesome. And then do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you're, that you have up and coming or give us a little Absolutely. teaser, give us some teaser. Thank, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> so my company is Greg Brinkley Enterprises and my goal or what I do is I work with black government professionals to help them experience phenomenal success in their careers. So one of them, one, please want to make sure that they know that it's possible because I'm a living rags to riches story in government. I know that it can be done, but there's a certain level of thinking that required that progression. And most workers don't have that. I would say that the darn near 95% of them don't have that. I want to make sure that for the black government workers that really want to excel, they want to uh, become more proficient in their performance. They want to promote, they want to take hold of various opportunities that may be in their, in their, in their lap or around them. I want to be able to position myself to help them do that. So I'm devoting myself to black government professionals. So one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm working on, hopefully within the next month or two, is to launch a group coaching and mentoring call. So it'll be a bi-weekly call starting out, but really for black government professionals to feel that they have support, that there's somebody that who's been there and done that and who doesn't have an extra grind and not down by any governmental <laughs> restrictions to, to go there and talk about things that affect them at the job to get some coaching, to get some advice, to, to, to have a community of people who are in the same position as them who have that commonality of being Black in government. So I want to create this community using this coaching and mentoring event as the flagship. So that's what I am uh, presently uh, positioning myself to do. So hopefully within the next uh, month, maybe I'm hoping within the next month, I'll be able to launch it and and then uh, really publicize it so people know that this is there for them and they don't have to feel like they have to go without or complain that the government isn't helping me at all. No, now you have help if you're a Black in government. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love the fact that you're doing that because, you know, community is so important. And I know in a lot of the, you know, private sector, there is a lot of focus on employee resource groups and being able to, you know, create that type of community to make people more aware but I would imagine it becomes, you know, maybe more challenging in the government role with all of these different agencies and, and things going on. Yeah. So I love the fact that you're like, you know what? We, they don't need to sponsor it. We'll just create our own and work together and 
you know, will create the trajectory that you want. So that's an awesome, awesome thing. I'm so excited for you. And I hope we will be able to have you back. Tell us how it's going. And just, you know, we can continue to highlight some of the things that are happening both in your life and and the impacts that you're making on, you know, government workers, which is awesome because I think everybody wants, you know, you deal with the government in so many different ways. It would be awesome if they were all high achievers. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I want to see. I want to, I really want to let them know that it is possible to, to get to certain levels. And it's not always, it's not always about being black. There are times when it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can testify. Sometimes it is, you know, being passed over for somebody who is less qualified and less skilled and less connected as you. Right. But they're looking at you and see what they see and say, oh, well, well, I don't know if they're qualified enough. So we'll go with someone that, that you know, he may not have everything, but, but you know, we, we could work with him. He's the time, he's the diamond in the rough. I've been there. Right. Several times. And I want to make sure that our, uh, our, our people are positioned uh, excellently so they can go in with the confidence knowing that, Hey, I, Bring the most to the table. If you miss out on this bull, you're the one that's sleeping. And I will find another avenue because there will be another avenue for me. Yes. And and those avenues will still be created. And even when those avenues are not created, sometimes they'll create their own avenues. So so I wanted I just want to be in a position to help them in any way I can. I love it. I love it. Any last words, nuggets that you want to leave? Yeah. I will say this. Another thing that has stuck with me over the past three years. You are the creator of your own outcomes. You can blame everybody that you want to blame, but when life throws you a curve, you can't blame the picture. Own it. You create your own outcomes. So when you're able to understand that everything that happens in your life really centers from your level of ignorance or conscious uh, unconscious awareness, then that's the starting point to really see things begin to change around you. So I know that's been the situation for me. It's still changing, but that's what needs to be understood. I love that. And that's, I mean, the base of all diversity, equity, and inclusion work is always about, typically you hear talking about unconscious bias. Really, it's about becoming aware (laughs) of your Mm -hmm. own unconscious issues, right? So that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Greg. It has been a joy. It (laughs) (laughs) It has been a joy. I know we'll stay connected and we'll continue to, you know, connect to each other and see each other thrive. So I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for joining me for the Jolly Podcast. Thank you, my sister. Appreciate it. Anytime you need me, let me know. I'm here. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.